Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, there's shock as we learn that Liverpool are much better than Manchester United. We are in awe of the newfound heading prowess of Southampton and a Champions League draw arrives midway through proceedings to liven them up. There's plenty of ire directed towards the Bundesliga but plenty of praise to heap on Manchester City and Spurs. Plus, we have Premier League work experience opportunities and Christmas party cancellations or not in the case of one story from Matt Law. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by returning football news connoisseur, it's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Yeah, brilliant. I just met Dr. Ange. Wow. Which is better than going to Barcelona last week or anything, to be honest with you. Sorry, is it Dr. Ange, like Ange? Range. Oh, Range. Yeah, oh, Range. Yeah, we should explain that uh, The Telegraph also has a Strictly podcast, which you definitely can subscribe to and download, and uh, they've just vacated the audio recording facility, but but an exciting start for your day, Matt. Alongside him, it is European football enjoyer, Mina Rizuki. What's happening, Mina? Oh, I'm sweating. They've left this room at like 28 degrees. It's it's Strictly temperature in here, isn't it? We (gasps) tend to go in uh, fridge-like for for our recording, but it's not working out for us. No, you just come out of the freezing cold and into this little cabin and it's like 400 degrees in here. What do you think this is going to do for your uh, analysis today, Mina? Is oh, I don't know it... if I can provide any. I might just fall off pass out at halfway through. Stay alert. Completing the lineup, we have the man with the insatiable appetite for tactical dinners. It's JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? I'm good. I was in bed by 9pm last night, so I am ready to go. Great. Been here at 6.30 this morning. Good, good. Good work, 9 JJ. 9pm? Yeah. How did you manage? Because that? I don't. I knew I just wake up loads, so I have to get extra sleep in, so I don't. I have sleep. He's a professional. <laughs> Let's start at Anfield. It was Liverpool three, Manchester United one on Sunday. Jordan Shakiri changed the game for Liverpool. Did United fail to adjust when he came on? They were kind of in control of the game in a way, weren't they? They were. They were soaking up all the pressure. Liverpool were getting a little bit desperate. Did they miss something by not changing their game plan when Shakiri arrived? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. No, I think Shakiri just managed to get on and did the things he does very well. Got into right positions. Got lucky with his two deflected shots that went in the back of the net. United were horrible throughout. Played a horrible game plan. It was just 
so boring to watch. But I, I, the good thing about it was that, um, and one of the best things about watching Liverpool this whole season is that even when teams try and block them out and ruin the game, they are able to get past that and they made it entertaining. Like 36 shots they managed to have against Man United. Uh, and and Shaqiri didn't make all the difference. He scored the goals, but it was their relentless. They just wore them down in the end, I think. It ended up being a great decision, in all honesty, to bring him on. Uh and I feel like these are the type of decisions you should take against United since they want to adopt such a defensive-minded game. I think, what, seven of their players were either def- well, defensive, right? Yeah. Um, so since they don't know how to defend, despite the fact that the entire team is tasked with doing it, you might as well just throw on as much overwhelming characters as you can in attack and see what happens. He's really good at penetrating the gaps. Um He's the sort of guy that you bring on just to enhance the, the the level of play in the final third, and he did it brilliantly. And it was one that I don't even think required a lot of thought. You know, this is a this is a team that's boring to watch and, and United, and it was clear that they had some sort of control for some reason. So let's just overwhelm them in the way that they've overwhelmed previous opponents and got the win. He's a great substitute to have, isn't he, Shakiri? Not so much Paul Pogba left unused on the bench. Do you think he would have made any difference to United on Sunday, Matt? Probably not. Um, he should do. I mean, he should be a player who's who's their go-to man. Um, but like so many United players, he, the, the best isn't being getting out, get out of him. It's just, it's just so. It's almost boring to talk about United. It's as boring to talk about them as it is to watch them because you're just going over the same things. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's nothing to get encouraged by or enthusiastic by. You just you just know it's going to continue while Mourinho's in charge of it all. I mean, quite what uh, Pogba and Martial would have been thinking while they were sat on the bench. But Shakiri, I mean, I've got to say, when they when Liverpool signed Shakiri in the summer, I kind of wondered what they were doing because you heard so many bad things about his temperament and character at Stoke, and you just thought this isn't a guy who's going to take well to almost being a kind of sub super sub type change a game guy and and actually he's fallen into that role really well and, and that must be testament to Klopp's man management they've done well haven't they Liverpool picking up those players from relegated teams in the last few seasons Robertson as well another one who's, yeah who's and I mean obviously Southampton haven't been relegated maybe yet but um they they plucked off Southampton's players as well, didn't they? But he was the one, really, Shakiri that didn't really look as though he fitted the whole philosophy and, and the whole mentality that, that Liverpool had. And, and yet, Klopp's got him in there really well. I, I also feel like we need to talk about the fact that there was it was really interesting, the chat after the game, about what people thought. And everyone's like, well, these just aren't players that are fit enough for Man United. And it's not always the coach's fault because David Moyes was terrible and then Van Gaal was terrible and now Jose Mourinho is terrible. And I just cannot understand how anyone can tell me a team that came in second place last season with players that are, what, £70 million striker and £96 million midfielder are not good enough for the level of United and that this is an entirely Jose Mourinho's fault. By all means, I definitely, you know, agree that Ed Woodward and the people at the top don't have a clear plan and they don't scout or choose the right managers to fit with a certain type of philosophy. But this is bad coaching. Surely this is bad coaching. He's not even bothering Mourinho anymore to do the thing of saying something outrageous to try and shape the discussion afterwards, is he? He came out afterwards and said, Liverpool are better than us, the best we can hope for is fourth. You just can't do that. You can't say that if you're Man United. It felt like, really felt like he's given up on it. It's just, it's now just the players aren't good enough. We might get fourth, we might not. I think he probably knows they won't. Um... The challenge is basically out there, either replace the players or replace me, I think. I think he's just given up on them completely. Players have given up on him. 
Um, That's clear. I mean, Lukaku just looks like he just doesn't want to play football. I've never been a huge <laughs> fan of him. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I've never thought that he's the kind of guy that's going to win you championships. But he's much better than this. We yeah. saw last season he had a lot more fight. He wasn't so scared of the ball. He would try to at least help the team. This time around, it was like, you know what? You're not giving me the service that I want. The midfield has no idea how to provide defensive cover or offensive stra- you know, plans or, or passes forward. There is no way that this isn't a clear lack of organisation, a clear lack of understanding of tactics, of, of, I don't know, isn't it your responsibility as coach to make the team have fun when they're playing football? Well, the fun's gone from it. And the most exciting thing about United in that whole game was, I thought, watching Mourinho's post-match press conference because you don't know what he's going to say, what he's going to do. Genuinely, after watching the whole game and he starts to get a bit tetchy with the guy interviewing him, I think it was... It was good work from Jeff Shrees, wasn't it? He really went for him. Yeah, Yeah. and and rightly so. And I think it was good. But then he kept asking him, um, are the players playing for you? And Mourinho's loath to try and criticise him any more than he has done. Totally agree with Lukaku. I know what it's like when you play in the team that you're just not, never getting the ball and you just want you don't, you don't want to hide but you just do because his first touch isn't really ever good enough to control it in those situations. He's good at turning people but maybe not at holding it and Van Dijk had him in his pocket all game long. Uh, just, they uh, out-muscled, they were stronger, faster, quicker, more intense and you can sort of see in the way that Mourinho doesn't look as intense or aggravated as once he was he seems kind of passive and like a wee bit checked out like most of their players and you've got Klopp's intense and rah, going for them and Liverpool play like that it just personified through that the managers Can we also talk about the utter inevitability of a Rick from Allison in the <laughs> following the week of everyone saying he's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League one of the best in the world do you think players ever they get a sense of that on the wind almost that they're being talked up and it has some effect on how they play at the weekend Possibly. I'm not sure that was it in this case because it, it's been, it's only been for a short amount of time people have been saying it. I think maybe when people are saying it a lot, I think Cord, that happened to Courtois actually. Um, he got very carried away with his own publicity and his own press for a while and had a dip and then actually came back again. Um, I do think it went a bit over the top on Alisson last week. I mean, it's so subjective to say who's the best goalie in the world. He's clearly one of them. But I thought it went a little bit OTT based on obviously the, the save against Napoli um, which was a pretty good save it's pretty good save but, not quite what people but were I mean, lauding it I as. mean talking about goalkeepers one who's, who's I think is getting forgotten about in the wider debate is Kepa at uh, Chelsea has actually been really really solid um, if a bit unspectacular and is getting a little bit forgotten in that debate with Alisson and De Gea um, but he's, I mean he is a really good goalkeeper and it was an unfortunate error but just one of those things. I'd add to the goalkeeper debate that um, although clearly players like Alisson are there to provide more than just saving shots, because the the best goalkeepers, in fact, almost all professional goalkeepers can pull off these wonder saves. They're all good at doing that. They're all good at leaping across and pulling them out of the thing. But what they have to be best at in these Premier League winning teams is commanding the area, making sure their defence is organised and doing a bit more than simply doing wonder saves and tipping balls over bars. Let's move south now to Southampton, who beat Arsenal, stunning them in Ralph Hasenhutl's first home game in charge. How did he do it? He uh, matched Arsenal's shape. He had them pressing from the front very aggressively. Uh, the defensive line was higher up the pitch. You had Redmond and Armstrong, who have been great all season, and the uh, other striker up front from the start was a central striker... Austin Ings. Ings from the start, yeah. So Ings got a couple of goals, a good positioning. Lauren Koscielny was terrible... Uh, <laughs> honestly, so I, I blame him for a couple of these. 
Um, he is rusty, though. <laughs> that's what I've written down in my notes is Koscielny's rusty. Oh, okay. But you saw it because he went to try and control one ball he should definitely have headered. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say this being non-professional footballers, but you can see he should have headered it, and he tries to control it with his foot, and it's an easy header for Ings to get the, the ball in. Um, and I, I really liked what he does, and he's instantly passionate. He's totally different to what Hughes has got. Hughes seemed just line some players up on the pitch and make them hard to beat, and hopefully that will be the fine. But Hassan Huttle took the game to Arsenal... They closed them down. They were relentless. They couldn't get any time on the ball. And you saw it. It fed into the crowd. The thing I want to know about this is it was highlighted that the pressing they were doing. My, my, my power, who's a Southampton fan, said it was really obvious how much more pressing they were doing. Are there managers who aren't instructing their teams to do this? Was Mark Hughes saying, yeah. don't don't press? Because it just seems like the only logical yeah, thing to yeah, do yeah, at yeah, home yeah. against the very, you know, unless, other than Man City, you obviously don't want to get exposed against. Surely you just press really aggressively against almost every other team in the league. Is Hughes saying don't do that? It's not about that. It's about getting them all synchronised to do it in the right way. And it's also about about pressing at the right time and the right players. So, like, there's just one thing that we were talking about, for example, on the Italian pod, which I'm not going to, you know, but... Absolutely it was a, not me. <laughs> which was a we're case bleep of... It. They were pressing the centre-backs rather than the full-backs who were overlapping. So, for example, that's a case of you're pressing the wrong people, so it doesn't matter if you're collectively pressing. You're not understanding how and where you're supposed to do that. So I think it's on that level. Hassan Hüttel's always, you know, he's he comes from sort of the German Bundesliga where that's a huge part of their game. Pressing, knowing how to press, playing with with full energy what he does is make it so exciting so you want to do that you want to be the first to win the possession and if you're not there and you don't win it then there's someone behind you who covers up who's also there who'll double up or who'll, who'll cover up any mistakes that you may do having that kind of safety net is something that I'm surprised that more teams in the Premier League don't have the fact that he's been able to do that with Southampton just imagine if there there are so many other teams that would benefit from that Crystal Palace being one of them you know I, I don't it is something that I feel like seems a strange concept to understand, but very few coaches really know how to teach it. You also That's, seem yeah. to recognise that that squad, they've got good attacking options. They've got better attacking options than probably any other of the clubs down in the relegation zone. Um, Ings, Ings and Austin should be enough, shouldn't it? You yeah, exactly. One of them and, and you know, Redmond's inconsistent, but he, he can be dangerous. Um, and I think he's. it looks like he's recognised that for now until he can do anything about the defence necessarily and he's um, he's taken advantage of that and, and tried to put them on the front foot and thought okay we we probably are he probably knows most games they'll concede one or two goals but if you get them on the front foot they are capable of scoring two or three goals themselves as well so you can turn individual players into a good defensive unit as well you don't have yeah. to necessarily buy new center backs or anything like that you can just train them and I, I agree with everything Mina said about that um, the way it works different managers but clearly you either want your team to press to, um, in, to push teams centrally or push them out wide uh, they were pressing Arsenal's build up play really quickly to force the ball wide and then the next person was coming up to close that down another person was in position to block the passing channel um, I don't understand why more managers don't do it as well because I, to me it seems the way to play football is to do that but obviously you have to have lots of players who have high stamina and you could eventually get worn down a team who are good at positioning a, a positional team like Sarri's Chelsea or uh, Guardiola's Man City they're able to play their way out of these pressing traps and that's when you get in trouble but uh, yeah if you're pl- playing low down if you've got an enthusiastic manager that's how you get chances but team. it's also worth mentioning that Arsenal had a makeshift defence sure they do need to buy a centre back <laughs> that, that is the solution possibly for them yeah, I mean, you know, when you have Laurent Koscielny, Stefan uh, Licksteiner, and who was it, Xhaka, playing in defence. Yeah. 
then you kind of understand that they're not going to be really on their game. I mean, even when they have their best choices at the back, I feel like defensively they're a little bit vulnerable. But I think it's just little, little individual tiny errors where they're just not sure of the positioning. But then you could argue that the cross shouldn't have come in for the first goal, for example. Mm. Bayern should have been closer. And I don't think it's... It's always easy to say they need a new defender to get rid of this, but actually it's the whole team's job to make sure they're all in the right place to, to stop the ball coming in or to stop the source. Like One of the Arsenal's goals, you could say it was Romeo's fault because he lost the ball, but I'd say it's not his fault because he turned as he would normally and no one was in position to receive it for, for Romeo to pass to him. So he turned back and looked for the short pass and that's when he got robbed. And if he had his teammates in better positions... It's a stand who wouldn't have conceded that goal. Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly what it is because it's a team effort. And people just think, okay, we'll blame that one guy who lost possession. But you're all supposed to help out in a, in a unit. Blimey, total agreement. But Pep Guardiola up next. <laughs> so let's see how Mina and JJ are getting on after that. What the hell that. is going on? <laughs> City back on track with a 3 1 win over Everton on Saturday lunchtime. City bench was John Stones, mm-hmm. Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, Raheem Sterling, Sinchenko, Foden, and the goalkeeper Murich. Best Premier League bench ever, Matt? I assume you've looked into this in some detail. I haven't looked into it at all, but I know that people were saying (laughs) that at Chelsea the previous week as well, and I can't remember the bench off the top of my head, but it was similarly ridiculously strong. I mean, every week you could end up saying it about City. I didn't think they were convincing, actually. They conceded a lot of chances. Um, Walker looked a danger at the back. We're all going to be looking for that after Rio Ferdinand got... uh, Got out of just saying it off air, didn't we? That uh, that he's always going to let you down, and he he did look vulnerable for them. Um, I thought Everton did did okay actually, um, but City they're just so strong, they're just so so strong. And you know Sterling comes off the bench and scores with almost his first touch. I think it's got to be a worry for others that uh, Gabriel Jesus looks as though he's finding a bit of form and confidence again because that was a problem for City. Um, it was a big problem for them at Stamford Bridge not having Aguero and not having a striker and if they've got Jesus now who's going to be fit and firing and confident for the second half of the season that will give them such a great option there because that's the only area where possibly they can look a little bit light if Aguero's injured or not quite at it or they want to give him a rest It's like in Brazil as well for the national team yeah. it's like with Gabriel Jesus playing you're just like oh they're going to lose this Yeah but if he he did look wonderful <laughs> you know a year or so ago he looked amazing I mean, yeah. he, he looked brilliant And he so looks he, really good again Yeah and I he, love what Guardiola said about it you see his, his uh, post-match things yeah. about how his family's moved over um, his mum has definitely moved over I think his brothers and maybe some other people uh, as part of his family have moved to Manchester Permanently, I think a lot. Of yeah, them. I think they said that. And Guardiola said that uh, obviously footballers are human, but what you forget is a lot of them go through things like divorce or breakups, or they just get sad now and again, and that does feed into how they play because they're not as happy as they could be. And suddenly he's got this, and he also went and did his first interview in English. After yeah, the game. he did. He did. Yeah, he's, he was quite good. He's and bubbling he, full of it. He was aggressive in the game as well. He was tracking back. He was all over the pitch. So mm. I just think that. I mean. It's it's uh, it's scary to say with City, you know, another boost for City in terms of someone coming back to form. But that that will that will be big for them, I think, going forwards. Yes, but where they're vulnerable is the <laughs> fact that this is where I'm sorry, I do have to come in. But it is that it's they concede too many chances. You know, they concede goals to Hoffenheim. I mean, Jesus, if you watched Hoffenheim in the German league, you'd be shocked that they got anywhere near this Man City side. The only the thing is, is that their attacking play is so beautiful that there's almost no 
no need for them to bother with anything else. But what happens if on that day there are going to be mistakes in their attacking play? Mm. I don't think that they have the weapons sometimes at the back or defensively or have enough balance going throughout that team to ensure that they can remain solid. Again, I'm always going to go back to that game against Liverpool because I think that they showed us something interesting, that they showed us they know how to tactically adjust at least to provide a little bit more balance against sides that are very direct and have pace within them. But it's these matches, it's the Champions League matches against Lyon, against Hoffenheim. It, there's always that that wobble of, you know, what happens if your front lineup isn't, you know, sensational and outscoring the opponent? Is your defence with the likes of Carl Walker or Fabian Delph if he's in there or Fernandinho's injured? Is it enough to sustain huge teams that can really attack you at pace and will and, and, and overwhelm you even more than Liverpool can? I think they're playing about 80% just now. And if you don't have that, if you're controlling the game the way they are and, you know, squeezing it to death, you are going to leave little gaps for counterattacks because their team is inevitably set up to do that. Mm. And when the passing's not quick, 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 tap, 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 they don't get their chances and eventually other teams score against them. And in this game, uh, Everton's XG was better than Man City's. It was 2 to 1.5. And they had better chances. They just didn't take them. Richarlison missed a couple. Mm. And, it, and that will happen. And I think it's because maybe there's sort of mentalities that playing these lower teams, it, it is quite easy to just keep the ball off of them. Yeah. They've really got it nailed down. But they need that uh, clinical killer edge. And Guardiola often says that they're missing that sometimes. And that's yeah. the mentality they need to get to get um, to the next level of where they want to be. If they have Messi, they win everything ahead of them. Uh, I know this sounds crazy, yeah. but it's like that. Even Lewandowski, why... they had someone like that. Do you know? Just... Oh, I, I'm not a fan of Lewandowski. Not, no. Leave it, leave it, leave okay. it. <laughs> what about Spurs? Another nuggety win for them. Wonderfully calm finish from Ericsson to get them past Burnley. I want to talk about Joe Hart. He seems to always be making some quite impressive saves for Burnley, but it doesn't feel like he's actually making a very positive difference. He's not winning them points, really. He can't dive left, either. No, that's a problem. <laughs> I still I still think this sidelining of Nick Pope and Tom Heaton is is really odd. I think we might look back on it as this Icarus moment for Burnley, where they just got a bit ahead of themselves. It did seem odd. It did seem odd. I mean, it looked to start with that Hart was just solving a problem with the, the, the injuries. Um, and now he's ahead of both of them. It looks like Heaton will go somewhere in January... Pope's nowhere to be seen, having gone off to the World Cup. It, it's it's an odd thing, but Hart. I think Hart's doing well. I don't think he's. I don't think the the goal in the the Spurs game was a huge error from him, particularly. What does Nuggety mean, by the way? Anyway, you know, determined. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's determined. <laughs> yeah, he's full determined, of like a nugget. <laughs> <laughs> he made a lot of saves in that game. In fairness to him, but but they lost. If you're if you're they a really lose, really good Spurs, goalkeeper, Spurs should have won five or six, I think, in that game. Oh, I don't know if you can always be the difference, even if you're the best ever goalkeeper. Not always, but if you look at Burnley's results, I don't think you can say that Joe Hart has been the difference between them. Yeah, getting I see points. what you mean. Because uh, I also don't think he's it. to blame for them not being as, as good as last season and, and falling down. I do think, again, with Tottenham, it's such a good example of Pochettino's management again. I mean, bringing in Skip, trusting Skip. He had a um, good game. Yeah, he really had a nice de- and tidy, yeah. He had a decent game. He's really intelligent, you know. He's going to get... Um, he's on for three A's at A-level, I think. Wow. Um, very kind of middle-class intelligent lad, I'm told. Quite different from how we like to stereo... Stereotype what's the word I'm looking stereotype Stereotype. footballers yeah that's it I'm not quite with it today I had a terrible morning Um, (laughs) (laughs) then you met Dr Raj then I met Dr Raj and it got a little bit better but I I just thought again I mean (laughs) Pochettino's doing such an incredible job of getting Tottenham through these games with the squad he's got just keep going keep going it's not always impressive 
Um, it does feel like at some point it will catch up with him, but he just gets them through them at the moment. I'm just you see, this all is good coaching. This is another thing that shows you exactly why Mourinho is failing. You know, Mourinho just says, OK, we don't have the players and we don't have leaders. But Spurs are creating leaders. Mm. I thought Kane's performance yesterday was was just fantastic because more than just getting goals like he usually does in games he's also somebody who really elevates the play in the final third he really knows how to bring out the best of his colleagues his passing his vision his ability to provide for his side even if he's not the one who's going to finish off the chances you create leaders you put them on the pitch you you continue to believe I don't believe in Juan Foyth but he <laughs> continues to believe in them and you know what this guy could probably be something really special like you know in the beginning I'm like oh he makes too many errors you know you're going to be gutted when Juan Foyth doesn't bring you any presents this year <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm just somebody who doesn't trust you because I come from a veteran league where you're young if you're 29. So I, I'm, for me, I'm, I'm always a little bit suspicious of youngsters, you know. But he is actually getting to be really good and Skip will get to be really good and Kevin, uh, Kieran Trippier became really good. And mm-hmm. it's that kind of belief that makes the difference between what is a good coach and what is now just... Walker Peters in Barcelona. I mean, they could have easily put Dyer to right back if they wanted to. Mourinho for sure would have put Dyer to right back. Mm, yes. People like Conte would have put, uh, put him to right back. And yet, a bit like Klopp probably would have, he gives Walker Peters a chance. Okay, he makes a mistake, but he's going to end up being better for it. Skip the same. I just think it's... he puts Ericsson onto the bench which is a risk but he comes off the bench scores when it, it feels just, modern doesn't it it feels way more he's just advice. managing yeah. his squad he's managing his squad so well because like he's a coach belief. as well whereas Mourinho feels more like a manager these days so I think if Mourinho it sounds a bit stupid but if he was bought some of the world's best players he would turn them into a very good team and would win stuff but isn't that what's happened to Man United well, although interestingly Pochettino yeah. had his title at Tottenham changed from when he first joined and he was head coach he had it changed after about a year or two years to manager. He wants to be manager there and he vetoed um, a traditional director of football coming in and stuck with a head scout. It's another big club that doesn't have so a good he's, football. That he's actually, that kind of manager. even though you would think of him as very much the modern coach, he's very much of the opinion he wants to be the manager rather than the coach. Then he obviously knows how to do it because he's created that culture at Spurs that has got them to third in the table now exactly. with the players that's got. It's exactly what you need. I mm. mean, there is no better candidate I can think of in world football in Pochettino to replace Mourinho if he ever were to leave Man United. Totally this agree. is what he did in totally Espanol agree. though I mean they had no budget and every year he just managed to develop players into superstars Chelsea fans on their best behaviour thankfully in Brighton after a pretty miserable eight days for the club you've covered them more than most mm. Matt is racism a bigger problem at Chelsea than other clubs well it certainly is now um that's such a difficult question because I don't know, I've got to be honest, I don't know other clubs outside the clubs I cover very closely. I don't know their fan bases. I don't know what's going on in sort of private because you can have racist elements of fans who aren't getting into games. I mean, for instance, Chelsea had a group who went over to Hungary with a very right-wing banner that got photographed. They didn't even try to go to the game. They just went over to go for what they termed the jolly and to go drinking and to post that flag and you can't really get your head around why that happens it's not, there's not that much the club can do about that either presumably that, I mean that's a society problem I mean if you've got fans travelling over who aren't even trying to go into the game that's a society problem what the fan what the club has to be responsible for is the, the fans inside the stadium what I would say about Chelsea as a club they're a pretty diverse club I mean until recently they had Michael Emanalo um Obviously, a, a black man in a position of the technical director, which is actually very unusual. Um, they've got Marina Gr- Granovskaya, a woman who pretty much runs the club. Um, 
there is certainly an equal opportunities club, very much so. And they've done an awful lot to try and change the narrative around the club. They've done a lot on anti-Semitism. Clearly, it's not got through to everybody. Um, but they do have a problem with one section of minority fans who just continue to stick two fingers up to the club in terms of what they're trying to tell them. And certainly with the anti-Semitic chanting, it's very hard to see it going away anytime soon because they will argue until they're blue in the face that because Tottenham fans sing the Y word, they're allowed to use the Y word. And Chelsea do not seem to be able to educate them past that. It's very depressing. It's very annoying. The club get very annoyed with it. You will not see a stronger statement from a club than them claiming, you know, the fans do not have the brain power to actually stop chanting. I mean, I've not seen a statement really accusing their own fans of being brainless before, but that's pretty much what they did. But there's so many folks who sing songs who don't seem to understand the context, what it is. They don't understand the words they are saying have actual. I think they understand. I wouldn't give them that pass. I think they do understand. That's fine. But I think they will use Tottenham as the excuse on that, even though I think they fully understand what they're saying. Well, then I think what I mean is, uh, uh, I'm trying to guess what I mean, but uh, younger (laughs) fans who come through who don't really think about it, older ones have no excuse. Mm. Absolutely. If you're, you know, above the age of 22 or something, you have no excuse, really. But um, young people go along and they think, because they want to identify with, a lot of people's identification is their club, so they see people singing these songs and think it's part of them. You have it a lot in Scotland, um, the old firm teams, there's still those songs now, they still get sung, sectarian stuff. And people just hear it, and they, and even the people who are nice and sensible, they often, if you get them drunk enough, or they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, they're caught in video singing these kinds yeah. of songs because it's just part of the cl- the club's culture. Sometimes, even though the clubs are desperate to get rid of it, I do think there's. I mean, for instance, what happened in Hungary with the anti-Semitic chanting? There was virtually no CCTV inside that stadium because it was such a small stadium. And they didn't have an awful lot of cameras on it. Um, again, because apart from the broadcasters, there weren't their own TV stations and things. So in terms of identifying the small minority who sang anti-Semitic songs there, the club are pretty much relying on other supporters to, to grasp them up. Yeah. And supporters are going to have to do that more. If they really want to be part of trying to get this out of football and racism out of football... They're going to have to take a stand and start shouting their own fans down and grassing their own fans up. Yeah, got to be a bit of self-policing. Yeah. Newcastle won 1-0 at Huddersfield, but they can't celebrate this result properly because they cancelled their Christmas party. This is one of my least favourite modern football PR stunts. They're six points clear of the relegation zone. What point are they making? And is it going to make any difference that they're not having a Christmas party? Can I just tell my favourite ever Christmas party story? Yes, please. (laughs) We all turned up for a Harry Redknapp Tottenham press conference, um, which I've subsequently found out beforehand. He, um, just as he was walking in, he said to the press officer, I'm going to tell all the lads I've cancelled the Christmas party. They were going through a difficult time. I've cancelled the Christmas party. It's all off. That's that's the line I'm going to give them. The press officer's uh, heart sank because what happened was Harry came in, did his whole press conference, oh, they're not having a Christmas party this year, they don't need to go drinking, they, they know they've got to be sent, we'll have it in January, blah, blah, blah. We all came out the room, and within 24 hours, there were pictures of them all coming out of a pub in Dublin, Ledley King absolutely steaming drunk, falling over, and the press officer had known full well as they were walking in when he said it, that he was going to have to tell him afterwards that Robbie Keane had already organised a Christmas do that had happened the previous weekend without him knowing. Apparently, he went absolutely <laughs> mental but it was brilliant absolutely brilliant I think most things that are done I mean we have like training camps in Italy where if the team loses quite 
a few games and it starts to be in crisis mode and they all have to lock themselves up in the, in the on the training camp for like three days and they can't see their wives or their families or and it's done like come on you don't really need to do that but it's a case of like a lot of the time we satisfy the fans you know you need to message. think about what you've yeah. done you know it's a little bit like what a woman likes to do to a man if he's upset her you know and I just think that it is kind of that culture of let's Let's just try to do everything to please the fans, but they deserve a Christmas party because I don't think they're doing that badly. Exactly, exactly. They're well clear of it. Give them some crackers and some very overpriced bottled beers. Huddersfield was so good. Oh. Just don't have that efficiency. Yeah, see the fewer scoring. goals than Man United. This see, this season. is when we were talking about Southampton. Huddersfield would snap your hand off for someone like Charlie oh, Austin. I know. Cardiff would. That's why Southampton have got such an advantage. To have Charlie Austin coming off the bench, most of their rivals would, would snap their hand off to take him as first choice striker. 74% possession. I feel so sorry for Huddersfield because they're so much more entertaining than watching United, you know? <laughs> yeah. Breaking news time. We have a Champions League draw. It's Spurs versus Dortmund. Manchester United versus Paris Saint-Germain. Schalke, Nulfier versus Manchester City. Liverpool versus Bayern Munich. Those are the English clubs involved. Uh, all six of the English clubs are through in the Champions League and the Europa League. Do you think one of them is going to win one of those competitions? It's a good draw, isn't it? It's, it's not bad for any of them. I mean, United, I mean, United PSG <laughs> might... You know, you would have PSG down as favourites, but it's not a disaster draw for United. That, that's that's a winnable tie. I thought that was what? the worst one they could have got. Yeah, honestly, what are you really? about? I think that's a winnable tie. I'm having it now. Against that's Neymar a winnable and tie. Against yep. that centre band. Yeah, I'm okay, having that as a winnable young. tie. Let's re- replay this when United have got through. This is a winnable <laughs> tie for Manchester United. It's a great... No I, you're going to tell me off because you love Lucien Favre or whatever his name is, mm, but I, I think that's a good draw for Tottenham as well. Um, great draw for City. I think it's good. Good draw. Good this draws is a all great round. Draw PSG always bottle the Champions League. Everyone always goes on about PSG. You're going to do do this, that, and the other in the Champions League, and they always bottle it. So I'm going to tip United to get through that tie wow. here and now. Okay, wow. can we just put some money on this? Yeah, okay. but you're you're quite posh, so I'm not putting as much money as you want to put. <laughs> <laughs> we had a question from Sam Hearn who asks as the Champions League group stage draws to a close he asked it last week how would you rank Europe's top five leagues for quality uh, he doesn't say which five but I think we can all agree it's Premier League La Liga Bundesliga Serie A and the Scottish Premiership oh absolutely give, give me the top five we, we, you, can, you can bring in League 1 instead the of the Premiership. Scottish I'm joking Matt you can bring in, the, you can bring in League 1 for the Scottish it's Premiership it's got to be Aberdeen like. um, I, I just I think that it's quite hard to sometimes sort of just define how good a league is by their performance or by what's going on in the Champions League. Because, for example, I think both PSV and Ajax are very, very good, but PSV found themselves in a terrible group. And really, they had a, several unlucky situations. You think they could be in the top five, the Eredivisie? No, but I'm saying as in, like, you can't, like, as in, if anything, the Dutch league is getting better but unfortunately we can't see that based on what's happening so you can't judge the Champions League too much in performances Uh, based on this season usually usually if you ever ask me this question I'll tell you it's the Spanish League number one first and foremost and then followed by England Italy then Germany then France Um, I still think it's pretty much similar I do think that people will be astonished that I think Serie A is as good as the Premier League but, I mean, look at how far into Napoli have gone. Napoli's turnover is less than half of what it is at, at, at Liverpool. And they don't have any superstars, yet they continue to do astonishing things. Um, 
as for Inter, this is their first season back in with players that have never played in the Champions League, although I won't give them a pass over that performance against PSV. And as for Germany, I think they've fallen by the wayside. Yes, you know, Schalke and Hoffenheim have gotten, like, sorry, Hoffenheim didn't go through, but Schalke have gotten through, but God only knows how. I mean, talk about the luck of the draw because they are nothing, like, nothing short of abysmal this season. Any objections to that top five, JJ or Matt? I mean, I think in terms of quality, I've not seen enough of any other league to say how good every single league is comparatively, but the Scottish Premiership is one of the best ones. (laughs) Four points separates the top five. Let's enjoy a song for Europe featuring Mina Razuki. Before we begin, David Barrigan has been in touch on Twitter to reprimand me, saying, does Tom Gibbs purposefully mispronounce almost every foreign, in inverted commas, <laughs> footballer's name on the Telegraph Football Podcast? Mina Razuki should pull him up on it. So Aww. please do, Mina. Uh, and tell me about Borussia Dortmund, please. Nine points clear now in the Bundesliga. Have they won the league before Christmas? Uh, it was really interesting, actually. I was having this conversation uh, with a German correspondent on another podcast. I won't mention any of the names please like do not um, but what I thought was interesting was I was I just had to be controversial because that's my role in some things and how good is Borussia Dortmund like I am obsessed with Lucien Favre and I think they've got squad depth they've got uh, two of the top goal scorers in Germany belong to Dortmund and Paco Alcacer and obviously Marco Royce they've got a, a wonderful midfield you know sort of shepherded by Ax- Axel Witzel they've got Thomas Delaney Mo Dawood there's just so much there but at home like in the Bundesliga they're coming up against a Schalke that was so good last season that's just fallen by the wayside at the moment RB Leipzig you know lost Hasenhutl not really sort of the team that are overachieving like they were in previous seasons and Bayern Munich has obviously fallen apart this season under Niko Kovac they, they won three consecutive games in a row so perhaps they're back now to, to the standards we would expect with a 4-0 victory in, over the weekend but and also then you go to the Champions League they drew with Club Rouge yes they beat Atletico Madrid but this is an Atletico Madrid that has a Diego Costa that's not really Diego Costa at the moment and Diego Godin who's been shockingly poor as a centre-back so how have they had that much competition to really prove I, I don't know I mean they are so far ahead but they did retweet Kanye West over the weekend <laughs> would you and rank Tottenham favourites to beat them in the no. Champions League no, no. Tottenham because Dortmund. I think they have that that Spursy thing that I'm not sure about that Spursy thing's old news now. It's gone. Yeah. The, the, they're you know, the non-Spursy the like anymore. A pretty non-Spursy result. You think so? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. And they got that 90-minute winner against on the weekend as mm. well. I honestly don't know, but I, it, it, I'm i never going to sh- be sure about that Spursy moment unless it's two years in a row that I'm, I feel like that's <laughs> gone away. But... I do think that Lucien Favre is a fantastic... I just think there's more squad depth there. Some talk about Pulisic possibly going to Chelsea at the end of the season. Would he be a big loss to Dortmund? He would be a loss because he's been fantastic. He hasn't has enjoyed his greatest ever season uh, just because there's just so many options to go for. Obviously, the explosion of Jason Sancho at the moment. There's so many options going forward. Marco Royce is just thrilling Paco Alcacer is their top scorer and he can't even start a game at times so it's a question of you have to constantly rotate keep the squad happy it's a huge loss he was considered one of the best youngsters well he still is considered one of the biggest uh, and and most astonishing youngsters coming up but uh, it'll be a great buy for Chelsea a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty settled the Turin derby he's been very good in Serie A this season but fair to say a little bit disappointing in the Champions League 
Is that because he got Dubala's goal discounted? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't know because I think his role in Juventus is slightly different to what his role was at Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, he's very much the leader, the guy that everyone tries to find with a pass to score the goals. But at Juventus, he's been tasked with being sort of a leader in the way that he has to elevate the level of play. He has to keep the side always motivated. Not that he did that against young boys too much, but um, he has been huge in helping Manzukic have the best ever start to his season. He's been huge in getting Dybala to score the important goals. I think that he, on, on a psychological level, he's been so important for the side. And when he didn't score a few goals in the beginning of Serie A, everyone's like, well, this is because our league is just so much better defensively. And now he doesn't know what he's up against. This isn't the Premier League. This isn't La Liga. This is a strong, tactically intelligent league. Then he just started growing a goal game, so that went by the wayside. It just takes time to develop and to get him integrated in the patterns of play that Allegri loves to have. It's very complicated at Juventus how they play their football, so he just needs to get into it and be sure to score the goal. Finally, Real Madrid straight past Rayo Vallecano at the weekend. How are we doing for pronunciation there, Mina? Rayo Vallecano. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, the rumours of Pochettino making a move over there at the end of the season feel all too real from the possibility of Spurs fans. Do you see that happening? Yes, there was a lot of people saying, oh, you know, if Pochettino loses and doesn't get Tottenham um, into the Champions League, then he'll lose his chance to coach Real Madrid. He'll never lose his chance to coach Real Madrid. He is so the hot favourite there and he's deemed as the perfect guy who can not only raise the youth that they have because they do have uh, excellent youngsters, but also in trying to create harmony. He obviously doesn't like Barcelona, so he's considered the best ever. He's very much the man that they want to come in. Uh, it's him and it's Allegri from Juventus that have they really have made it clear that they would like to have one day. And I don't think that rumour is going to go away and I don't think he wants it to because that's surely where he wants to end up as well. Would he go before they've fully moved into the new season, Matt? Uh, new stadium, excuse me? No, I think it's all bets off once we're into the new stadium. But they'll get into the new stadium this season, I think, now. But he should be careful because this is a horrendous Madrid side at the moment. I mean, they're being booed. They they have There's a lot of rot in that dressing room. They need to just start afresh because a lot of these players are just, they've won so much. It's hard to continue being motivated. Uh, so there needs to be a, a genuine regeneration in that, in, in that squad. And he doesn't want to arrive at the wrong time and sort of be a David Moyes, right? But, I mean, if they come from in the summer, he can't say no. I mean, he saw, it sort of felt like he's, he's almost managed to delay them a little bit as it is, mm. that he could have jumped at it um, when Lopetegui left. He might have even been able to jump at it when Lopetegui got it. I don't actually know. Um, but it feels like he's almost put them off a little bit and just kept them waiting that bit. He's got to be careful. If they come strong for him this summer, which feels like they will... I think, I think he'll go strong for Allegri this Do time. you? I think, well, I think he's got to go for it, and I think he will go for it. I mean, just just watching him in Spain last week was very interesting. He he sort of, after his main press conference, kind of perched on the desk in a bit of a David Brent style and hung around to chat to the Spanish journalists. It felt like there was a planted question in one of the press conferences which allowed him to tell everyone, just remind the Spanish journalists that they hadn't signed anyone in the summer that all their players had come back later from the World Cup. They felt like there was a lot of buttering up of the Spanish press around that game. Um, and I know that people who covered the, the Real Madrid game the previous year felt similarly. It feels like he's really preparing himself for that job yeah. now. But he, he, sorry, just a quick one, but he really needs to make sure that he has the support of whoever's buying the players, which is Perez usually. Yeah. Um, because it, uh, 
at Real Madrid, unlike Spurs and all the others, it's about managing that dressing room with those egos, with those men inside it. And he's got to be able to buy the players that he wants and have what it is that he wants. Otherwise, he's just going into another disaster. I saw that press conference, Matt. I thought the uh, flamenco guitar cover of Free Love on the Free Love Freeway was a little bit too much. <laughs> it did feel like that was coming. <laughs> Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. JJ Ball, please open up your dossier. This is our new feature, week two of JJ's dossier, in which uh, he gives us the thorough lowdown on the manager he was paying particular attention to over the weekend. Who you got this week, JJ? Well, I live-blogged Fulham versus West Ham. And I think it's interesting what Claudio Ranieri has done or has not managed to achieve at Fulham since taking over. Now, we all know what he did with Leicester when he came in. He made them very hard to, to break down and they were very good on in transitions. That's what he's always done throughout his career in Italy, wherever he's been. It's all about tran- quick transitions. Now, Fulham's defence is dreadful and it is, I think, down to the personnel that are there. Jukanovic... Uh, had a possession-based game that was all about keeping the ball and trying to play it, keep it, and try to score that way by passing around. And he made uh, five different centre-back pairings in his 12 games, 12 Premier League games he had. Ranieri stuck with the same back four for the first three games, and then he's changed it in the second two. Um, all He likes a 4-2-3-1 he's trying, and he's got uh, Mawson and uh, Tim Ream came in and you've got uh, Cyrus Christie uh, on the bench and you have O'Doy playing out wide it's all those players don't seem to be really good enough to uh, to do what he wants to do and they had good chances to score they were actually up on XG against West Ham but it is all based on getting the ball quickly forward um, but that will not work unless their defence is solid and he's going to have to probably get different personnel in to do anything like what he had with Leicester which did take him time and big, I think fullbacks is the, the key Big January coming at the cottage You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network To find more of our podcasts just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts Let us finish up with Neil Warnock who complained about a trainee ref officiating the Cardiff-Watford game uh, slightly unfairly I want to know which other work experience opportunities should be offered in the Premier League we put this to our friends on Twitter Jack White not that one Jack White yes not <laughs> one from the White Stripes says uh, Manchester United manager is a trainee role that could be offered and Gareth aka Kingswood Hornet suggests paleontology as it seems apt where Warnock is concerned harsh <laughs> what have you got JJ that's funny uh, how about a trainee analyst and then I could get paid millions working for a big club are you not getting paid millions at the Telegraph Uh, am I meant to no we need to take this up (laughs) trainees don't get paid millions that's the flaw in your plan I just want millions Matt just do it for free Uh, okay (laughs) solved Nina can there be a trainee guy who just chooses to put the squad out and then I don't have to watch certain teams choose the wrong players A, a trainee manager I'll do that as well (laughs) I'll do anything Tim Sherwood once offered one of the uh, Spurs fans a place on the bench didn't he do you remember that when they were giving him stick from behind him and he he handed him ceremoniously handed him his GA (laughs) to to come onto the bench so it feels like Tim's already done it a little bit Tim was a bit like a trainee manager actually looking back Um, lots of people would argue that you should put a trainee instead of me and get them writing better match reports than me set piece specialist we have lots of trainees in Italy who do that. 
For coaches. <laughs> no, guys who like the guys that you know that uh, Liverpool are paying one guy. The throwing coach. The throwing coach, yeah. but more about how to create like thousands of different set pieces. Yeah, a drop ball coach. I worked. Yeah, with the a- kind who you know, like you know, like Germany one stage, isn't it, when they took off their <laughs> pants and that kind of stuff to distract. I worked with I worked with a kicking coach once, and it was mm. ridiculed by a, a panel of elder journalists who thought it was ridiculous. But he's now working. With, I think it's Brentford. He's working at. And uh, I went and did a shoot. High with flying a, Brentford. Yeah. Well, it's just that <laughs> all he was doing was teaching them the technique of how to shoot, like a very specific thing. But he was working with these players. I think it was Morecambe they were playing for. And I was doing a shoot with them, and uh, they were hitting knuckleballs. I was standing in goal, and he was going through every single time they took a shot. He was going through what they'd done slightly wrong to not do this free kick the way that Juninho Perman Bacan, I'd say his name, Brazilian guy, he was amazing oh, yeah. free kicks, Leon, uh, the free kick king anyway. But uh, he was coaching them with little tiny bits and he was filming them and showing them exactly how he was doing it. And uh, one of them scored a winner against uh, Man United for Wolves in a youth game at some point. This is cool. I'd quite like Palace to let a trainee have a go with that eagle before the game. <laughs> Because I always watch that eagle flying around and think that's going to go wrong one day. It's going to go for a player. I like this one the best, yeah. So let a trainee do it in the hope that something goes wrong. Well done, mate. You've won the fictional points. That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you on Christmas Eve, but it's a special episode taking a look at the best of 2018 in football. Do not miss it. It'll be a wonderful accompaniment for wrapping up your dad's uninspired Christmas gift. As ever, you can contact me on Twitter if you'd like. It's at Tom, with an H, Gibbs. And get your suggestions, thoughts, topics for discussion and Matt Law fanfic to our email address, afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. If you've not subscribed yet, please do immediately search for Telegraph Audio Football Club and figure out how to subscribe from there. I'm backing you. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. I'm Brian Moore, I'm host of Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and each week I'm joined by a host of big names from the world of rugby to discuss the latest news and views in our sport. It is no-nonsense rugby analysis at its very best. That's Brian Moore's Rugby Podcast. Join us every Monday, available from wherever you download your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.